Amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, if it is your first time with us today, I want you to know that uh, we're glad you're here, but also uh, we're, I, want you, I want you guys to know that we're a church that's going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, to see the gospel continue to move uh, uh, in us and then also through us. And with that said, we've, we've been in this year-end um, offering anchored for the mission, and one of, we've had kind of two different goals that we're kind of shooting for. The first is, is a big goal. It's an all-in effort. It's, it's $20,000 is what we're trying to give away to missions and church planting and local organizations. They're going to be um, helping kind of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the unwed mother, and the refugee around us. Um, and the, the, the next goal is a $35,000 goal, which is really, honestly, it, it really makes no sense. I don't know how we're going to get there. Um, but that's kind of our crazy big God-sized goal. Just as an update, to, today, uh, last, last kind of report, we are uh, 75% of the way to our, to our first goal. Yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. We've got $5,000 left to raise to get to that first goal. And so this is something that uh, we're going to really take an all-in effort to continue to get there. But we have $20,000 to our crazy God-sized goal. I, again, I don't know how we're going to get there, but I want you guys to be praying um, that God will continue to move among us. Um, but that being said, a week from today is Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. And it never fails. Uh, every year, uh, Christmas just kind of sneaks up on me. Decorations are up, presents are kind of wrapped, somewhat wrapped. Our kids have been kind of counting down the days. I mean, literally every day we wake up and they get their little Advent treat with a date that reminds us, hey, Christmas is coming. You know, we've got Advent devotionals that remind us, hey, Christmas is coming. We drive through the neighborhood, lights are out, shopping malls are packed. It all screams that Christmas is coming. You know, I've been preaching the past few weeks with the coming of Jesus' birth in sight, and yet somehow I am still shocked by how quickly it still seems to come. You know, there's uh, anticipation and expectation, yet it's also still filled with, like, surprise. And those two competing ideas with both anticipation, expecting it to come, and yet also being shocked and surprised, and in all that is here, like, that's all part of the Christmas story. I mean, literally, the people of Israel had 2,000 years of history that was meant to prepare them for Jesus, and yet they were still shocked by it. Now, to their defense, those first thousand years that started with Abraham in Genesis 12 and went to King David, um, they've, they weren't exactly, like, they, they, we've kind of been scanning over this the past four weeks. It wasn't crystal clear what would happen. You know, if you remember kind of going back down memory lane through the Old Testament, we'll do this for about five minutes before we get to our big idea. You know, if you remember with Abraham and Sarah, God made a promise that through them uh, would be a great nation and blessing. And as we've kind of followed the genealogy through Matthew with the women in the genealogy, you know, several weeks ago, we saw the story of Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38. Um, that was surprising, uh, to say the least. It was a scandal, but it carried on the family line. You know, early this fall, we saw the story of Tamar in the book of Joshua, seeing the, lot, the, the land that God gave them to bless his people. And then kind of following the genealogy, next came the story of Ruth that we saw last week. And then after Ruth, kind of tracking with the women, the genealogy leads to King, uh, King David that was connected to the story of Bathsheba. And then if you look at Matthew 1.1, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, kind of working backwards. And the four women in the genealogy that we've looked at so far in this series, they all fall between that first thousand years between Abraham and David. 
And quite honestly, with those, those first thousand years, they're filled with a cycle of God speaking and revealing himself to God's people. There's all sorts of great stories that we love to read and tell. They teach us a lot about God. But those next thousand years, between David and Jesus, they're not so great. They're pretty dark. And when I, mean, when I say pretty dark, I mean very, very dark. Those next thousand years between King David and Jesus, it is filled with tragedy. Because after King David came his son, King Solomon. They built the temple, and God's earthly kingdom was built on the land he gave them, and God was, kind of, was living in that temple. So from the outside looking in, everything looked great. But the problem was, although the earthly kingdom seemed great, the hearts of the people inside the kingdom were turning against God. And so over a thousand-year period, God's kingdom is beginning to erode and erode, not, and not because of God. No, God always kept his word and promises, but because God's people were living in complete rebellion. The temple that was built for God, Solomon's temple, it was completely destroyed. Everything was set on fire, totally destroyed. God's people were essentially kicked out and deported, and God would send prophets to try to wake up his people and turn them back to the Lord, but it just continually, uh, time after time, fell short. These prophets, they would come in and try to warn the people and seek to prepare God's people, uh, but they never listened. Very rarely did they listen, which then led to 400 years of silence from the Lord. 400 years of hard hearts and rebellious people. They were 400 extremely cold and dark years. Like, this is the backdrop of Jesus' birth. It was cold and dark. It was pretty bleak and hopeless. Which, when you think about Christmas, those are not the words we typically think of. Like, we don't think of words like weary and bleak and hopeless. I mean, nobody goes to a Christmas party to spread bleakness and hopelessness, right? I mean, can you imagine walking into a Christmas party and everyone's sitting around crying and weeping and grieving in dark clothes, nobody's saying a word, no music, no laughter, no holiday cheer, everybody is just kind of mopey. Well, if you can imagine it, uh, if you can't, if you imagine it, because that's the Christmas party Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into a world uh, that was dark and bleak. And as we're thinking about this next week, kind of leading up to Christmas, we all need to be aware that there are people around us that are attending Christmas parties and making holiday plans. We're on the outside, they're celebrating, but on the inside, it's kind of a different story. You know, this picture of darkness and hopelessness, unfortunately for many around us, or, or just maybe for you, like this hits pretty close to home for real life. Maybe it's not an ongoing thing, but maybe there are things that just lead to weariness or difficulty. Maybe finances are strained, or parenting is super challenges, uh, challenging, or maybe the semester didn't go as planned, or maybe relationships are just hard. And, and when you stop to think about it, it just kind of puts a burden on yourself. You see, this is what Jesus came to step into. This is what Jesus was born into. But because Jesus did come, there's hope. And so next week at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to look at this and see how Jesus is the hope of the world. In fact, that will be our main idea for next week. Jesus came to bring hope. <laughs> Seeing how Jesus came into darkness to bring light and joy to the world. And so please be praying and thinking about who you can invite to come and hear about the hope of Jesus. You know, I am praying. I have been praying that someone would come in next Saturday at our Christmas Eve service and walk away with the greatest gift they could ever receive, the gift of salvation. 
So we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate and we're going to reflect. And not because it's a Christmas tradition, but because the hope of the world has come down to earth to live among us. And so just ask, who around you, what neighbors or friends or coworkers or family members can you invite to come and hear about the hope that we have? But again, that's next week. But for today, as we look at the genealogy of Jesus highlighting the women, uh, we, we come to, to our last lady today, who is the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. And as we kind of look at her story with this dark backdrop, filled with anticipation and shock, what we'll see as our main idea today, by looking at Mary's story, is that Jesus came to live among us. Like This is a remarkable truth that we're going to kind of explore today, but the way we're going to do it is looking at it through Mary's perspective. You know, this whole uh, series, uh, the Scandalous Cradle series, has been very story-heavy, looking at some of these great Old Testament stories, kind of zooming out and seeing the big picture. And today's going to be much of the same. We're going to spend most of our time today just kind of telling the story in Luke chapter 1 and 2, and pointing out a few things along the way with a few little nuggets, and then at the end, we're going to kind of bring it to our lives today with a few simple truths to walk away with. So uh, for those that love a good outline, here's our very simple, basic outline for today. Number one, the story of Jesus, Jesus' birth through Mary's eyes, and so that's going to take us about 20 minutes. And then uh, we're going to see number two, gospel truths for today, which will be just a few minutes to end our time. But before we get to our story, I do want to talk briefly at just a high level about Jesus coming to live among us, because essentially what we see is that God was born as a human, a baby, and he had to grow up and experience being hungry and sad and being cold and experiencing pain as a human. Jesus came to earth as both God and man to rescue us. So he was fully God and fully man, and we see this through his birth. And y'all, this is a big deal for many reasons. But the two that I want to point out is that it shows us that God is personal and that God understands our pain and hardship, that he's able to sympathize with us and understand us. Like he's not absent or distant. No, he came to be with us. And church, this is good news because it shows us God is not a distant God. But no, he is a deeply personal and relational God. And God becoming a human in the flesh, born as a baby, is, it not only shows us he's personal and relational, but it also shows us that his death on the cross, it was sufficient. So because Jesus was human, he could take the penalty as a human, that we humans, we earn through our sin, and it made Jesus, so it made Jesus a sufficient sacrifice. So Jesus, as a human, could die the death we deserve, but as God, he could then also defeat death and then rise out of the grave. And there's so many things, uh, so many more things we could say about this uh, kind of idea, about Jesus being fully God and fully man. But today, uh, through the story of Mary, I want us to just marvel at God becoming a baby, just through the eyes of his mother Mary. So for the note takers out there, this is number one, the story of Jesus through Mary's eyes. And again, we're going to spend uh, almost all of our time in the Gospel of Luke because the Gospel of Luke tells Mary's side of the story, where the Gospel of Matthew tells more of Joseph's side that we're going to see next week. But a few things that we would see from the Gospel of Matthew is that as we trace through the genealogy, it leads to Joseph, which is Mary's husband, which means Mary, uh, who birthed Jesus, did not come from Abraham's line. No, Joseph, her husband, came from that line, not Mary, which again means Jesus was adopted into the line. And then look at next, week, uh, look next at Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child, with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so what we see here in Matthew 1.18 was that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, which is just like being in, kind of like being engaged. And Mary, she's pregnant with a baby, but Joseph knows uh, that's not his baby, which hints at yet again why our series is called The Scandalous Cradle. From the outside looking in, this seems like another scandal. But regardless, his fiancée, Mary, she's pregnant, and he's like, I know that baby isn't mine, uh, and wants to kind of call off the wedding in the relationship, which seems like the right thing to do because it appears that Mary has cheated on him. But as we know, there's more to the story. So we're going to stop there in Matthew for now uh, and kind of jump over to the book of Luke and dive into the shock and anticipation that Mary went through. Again, we're going to see Mary's side of the story, showing that it wasn't as scandalous as it seemed. So in the Gospel of Luke, if you, wanna, uh, if you went and read it, read the whole thing, you'd see multiple different people introduced. There's actually two women that we see early on. There's Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist, and then there's also Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the narrative, it kind of goes back and forth between their two stories involving Joseph and Zechariah, which were eventually uh, both of their, or their husbands. So this week, I want to encourage you and go and read the whole thing. But again, for today, we're going to focus on Mary and kind of skip over some. And so look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. To the virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so again, there's two women in Luke's story. There's Elizabeth and Mary. And Elizabeth is important to Mary because God told Zechariah, who's a priest, through an angel, God told uh, Zechariah through an angel that his wife, Elizabeth, would have a child named John. And fun fact, Elizabeth uh, was past the ability to have a baby. And the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, that John, um, their baby, eventually would point people to the Lord. That John, their baby, Elizabeth's baby, he would be a big deal. Well, Elizabeth does, in fact, get pregnant uh, when she was kind of past her prime to have a baby. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, that same angel, Gabriel, that went to Zechariah the priest, shows up at Mary's house, house in Nazareth, who was a virgin and engaged to Joseph. You know, our passage, it goes out of its way to make sure we get that Mary was a virgin. In fact, it says that she was a virgin before it even says her name. And look what the angel Gabriel said to Mary in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like an awesome thing to hear. Like a real confidence booster, hearing that you're favored and God is with you. Like, sounds pretty awesome. And just to point out, the word favored here is the same word for grace, meaning Mary wasn't extra special. No, God was actually showing her grace, giving her, giving her something she did not earn. But nonetheless, there's an angel that came in and is standing in her room and is speaking to her. And let's be real, I'd probably be more terrified that I was seeing an angel. And then an angel is in my house talking to me, in my house, like I might pee my pants. That's typically what happens in the Bible. Not the peeing in the pants part, <laughs> but the scared out of their mind part. Like people see angels and are pretty shocked. But what we read next, I find interesting. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Mary, she wasn't troubled by the angel standing in her house talking to her. No, she was troubled by what the angel said. 
saying that she was favored and the Lord was with her. Look at verse 30. The angel Gabriel keeps kind of speaking to her. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. New City, the fact that Mary found favor with God is remarkable. And not because she had a crazy history, because she was extra righteous, but rather because she was just a small town teenage girl living in Nazareth. Where in contrast, Elizabeth, the other lady, she was older and known as righteous and married to the priest Zechariah. Like uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were a big deal in the Hebrew circles. They were seen as righteous and they followed the Lord. But yet God chose not older, wider, wiser Elizabeth to carry his son. No, God chose a small town teenage girl without any social or religious status. And church, I don't want to harp on this much today, but it's worth noting as a word of encouragement for us that God tends to use pretty unimpressive people for his impressive purposes. This is the way that God works. We see this time and time again, page after page in God's word. And to that we say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That God can use us, not because of us, but because he shows us his grace and favor and really no other reason. But nonetheless, as we kind of get back into the story to say what the angel said to Mary another way, the angel basically said to Mary, hey, Mary, your baby, he's going to be a big deal. He's the one that everybody's been waiting on to save us and help us and get us all out of this mess um, that your people are in right now. And look what the angel goes on to say about Jesus. He'll be great. It will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him uh, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Essentially saying, Mary, your baby Jesus, he will be the son of God. He will be the king. And he will be the king of God's people forever. David and Solomon and all the other kings, their kingdoms, they eventually ended. But your baby Jesus, he will be king of God's people. In his kingdom, it will never end. Just like God promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because about a thousand years prior to this moment, when this angel was speaking to Mary, God told King David that he would raise up a king that would rule over God's people forever. And now God's reminding Mary of that promise. And that Mary, she's going to birth that king. Because New City, God keeps his word. He does exactly what he says he will do, even if it comes outside of our timeline. Because church, God keeps his word. Our God, he is faithful. And look what, he's, look what Mary says to the angel in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And she's like, hey, Gabriel, uh, do you know how babies are made? Like, how's this going to work? And look what the angel said back. And the angel answered her, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I mean, can you just imagine, Mary? In this moment, a teenage girl just listening to this with big, wide eyes, mouth kind of slowly dropping as an angel is talking to her, saying the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and the power of God will overshadow her. And she'll have a perfectly holy baby that will be God's son. Like This just seems like one of those moments that leaves you in total shock and awe, incredibly terrified, thinking about the power of God overshadowing you, while also in just complete awe and wonder. Because you know, as a good Hebrew girl, she's got all these pictures kind of running through her head, picking up on all these Old Testament images that are being mentioned, referring back to Melchizedek and Balaam's oracle and Jacob's house that we just kind of saw in those verses we just read that we may not be as familiar with. But to her, she knew those stories. This, she knew this was a big deal. 
It's like, what in the world is happening right now? This is one of those like otherworldly moments. Like Mary is likely thinking the God of the universe is going to be birthed out of her. Like what in the world is happening? And to confirm, confirm all of this, the angel says to her, verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so in God's kindness, Gabriel spoke to both Zechariah and Mary, confirming both of their pregnancies, which just kind of as a side note is mostly how God has worked. He confirms the same thing through multiple different sources, which is, almost, uh, which is very different than almost every other major world religion. God gives two different encounters with two different people in two different places, months apart, both confirming the same thing. And so the angel tells Mary, hey, uh, your much older relative Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. You should probably go talk to her. And look what Mary says back to the angel. And Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <laughs> like, I just kind of imagine Mary uh, in this moment kind of trembling like, oh, Okay, yes, sir. Okay, I believe you. And the angel leaves. So after this kind of divine, crazy, awe-inspiring encounter with an angel, what does Mary do? Well, she books it to the priest's house to see Elizabeth because she knows that she also had an encounter. Because she just had an encounter with an angel and she needed to talk about it. Uh, Mary needed to talk about it with Elizabeth uh, because she also know that, uh, knows that something's crazy happening with Elizabeth too. Look what it says in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So she goes to the priest's house uh, and sees his wife, Elizabeth. And look what happens in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." So Mary walks into Elizabeth's house, doesn't say a word, but Elizabeth is uh, being able to discern and understand by the help of the Holy Spirit, notices that this lady Mary has something special about her. Like she's kind of glowing. Elizabeth knows something has happened. Her relative Mary, this teenage girl, God is doing something with her. And Elizabeth knows nothing about this encounter that Mary just had with an angel. But Elizabeth, she knows that God is stirring and moving. And her baby, who will be John the Baptist and point everybody to this baby Jesus, is jumping for joy inside of her womb. New City, in this moment, God and his creation and his people are beginning to anticipate the coming of the birth of Jesus. Like the Messiah is coming, redemption is coming, hope is coming, and excitement is kind of beginning to kind of bubble to the surface. They've been sitting in silence for 400 years, but in this moment, God has shown up, God is moving, joy is rising, anticipation is stirring, blessing is coming. You see, this is the part of the story of Jesus' birth. Like shock and awe, filled with great anticipation. Because the Son of God is about to come down to earth through a teenage, small-town girl in Nazareth. And what does Mary do? She starts singing praises to the Lord. She begins worshiping the Lord. Look what, it, look what she said while she was with Elizabeth. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and it spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. New City, Mary is overwhelmed with praise and thanksgiving because God is about to birth his son through her. And Mary is just in awe of the goodness and grace that God has shown her. Because the God of the universe has shown favor to her and will come and live inside of her, Mary is aware that out of all people, God should not have chosen her. If God chose anybody, it should have been Elizabeth, not her. Mary knows that grace and favor that God has shown her, uh, and she's led to worship. She's in awe. Church, this is what the coming of Jesus should do for us. It leads us to worship. It puts us in awe. Because God, he didn't just come and show grace and favor to Mary, but he also has done the same for each of us who call on his name. As we've seen in the past few weeks, when Jesus came, he came bringing grace and mercy. Church, if you know Jesus today and have trusted in him, don't miss the sheer grace that he has shown you. Because the grace of Jesus turns Mary's song of praise to our song of praise. You know, Mary's song is also our song. You know, there's so much more we could say here, but let's keep moving through our story. Look at what it says in Luke 156. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This seems like a pretty insignificant verse, but this week I was somewhat struck by it. Because just think about this. Mary, a teenager who was engaged to be married, is now, I think we can assume, probably pregnant. And she is living with Elizabeth, who is likely much older and wiser than her. But both of them went through these divine encounters, and we also know from the book of Matthew that Joseph, her fiancé, as we read earlier, resolved to divorce her quietly. And we don't know this for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mary lived with Elizabeth during the time when Joseph wanted to end the relationship. I mean, why wouldn't she just go be with her family during this time? Were they too, like, ashamed of her? Was Mary scared to tell them? Why did she live for three months with another relative in another town? I think it's fair to assume that they were both in somewhat of an emotional roller coaster. I mean, can you imagine the ups and downs that Mary would have gone through during these three months? I mean, if she was totally fine and just A-OK, I don't think she would have stayed there. She would have gone back home. But no, she was in a season of limbo, a season of anticipation and waiting and excitement, maybe feared, uh, filled with fear and sadness of maybe those around her, how they perceived the entire situation. Like maybe they didn't believe her. And we haven't talked about this, but we know from the beginning of Luke 1 that also during this time, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, oh yeah, he was mute, by the way. After he talked with an angel, he could no longer talk. I mean, just imagine all of the things going through their minds in those three months. Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. Elizabeth is old and pregnant, uh, probably exhausted, all the while her husband is mute. 
And not to mention, they're in a time in history when the Roman Empire was growing and in full force with ruthless King Herod on the throne. And here is little old Mary who heard from an angel that she will birth the new king that will reign forever, which would have been words that put her life in danger. I mean, just imagine the excitement and fear and angst and awe and confusion thrown in with Mary's fiancé, Joseph, who was a nice man but resolved to divorce her quietly. Who knows the doubt she could have experienced? Like Mary just possibly wondering, am I crazy? Did that really happen? I mean, just talk about an emotional roller coaster. But yet in all of it, she faithfully trusted the Lord while she waited. I think it's fair to say that Mary, she needed Elizabeth. She needed to lean on Elizabeth to deal with all that was happening. But then as the story continues, Elizabeth, she's about to have her baby. I just kind of imagine older, wiser Elizabeth saying to sweet, innocent teenage Mary, Honey, I love you, but it's time for you to go, okay? Uh, This old lady, I'm about to have a baby. Things are going to be happening, and I'm not going to be able to comfort you um, like I used to. I love you, but baby girl, it's time to spread your wings and fly. Well, Elizabeth, she then has her baby. Zechariah, he gets his voice back. He praises the Lord and speaks a word of prophecy about the goodness of God and Jesus. And then we enter into the famous chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph go into Bethlehem. And they're back together at this point. And Mary, she's about to pop and have a baby. And then read in Luke 2.7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. New City, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born. And as our main idea suggests, he came to live among us. And he was born not in a normal cradle, but he was laid in a manger. The Son of God was laid in a scandalous cradle, probably something like a feeding trough. Jesus, the Son of God, came to dwell and live among his people. But where did he first come? He came in a messy barn, laid in a makeshift cradle. This is our humble king. He wasn't born in a palace or in a golden cradle or through a perfect family tree. No, he was born in the mess, in the muck of a barn, through a family tree filled with scandal after scandal. New City, our God and King, when he came into the world, he came to live among mess and darkness. But in this moment in the barn, surrounded by poop and animals and all the things that you'd find in a barn... Just imagine Mary in this moment, in the barn where she just had her baby who she was told by an angel that she would, he would be uh, the forever king. And his, name would, and his name means savior, that he would be called the son of the most high. Like, this is the son of God. And Mary's waiting. It's over. And let's not forget, she's still a virgin. And is sitting there holding this baby in this animal-filled manger. I mean, the range of emotions she had to go through was looking around thinking, this is not how she envisioned envisioned the birth. While at the same time, just in awe and wonder of the total miracle, worshiping Jesus, just holding this total miracle. I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph in this moment, in the manger, looking at this baby Jesus, looking at baby Jesus, y'all, I would never say this to Mary in the moment, but you better believe I'd have the thoughts as I was sitting there looking at this child Mary, are you sure? Are you sure you're a virgin? I mean, just imagine, just just the faith of Joseph to then adopt Jesus and be his father. It's astounding. 
But in all of it, just think of Mary. Without a doubt in her mind, she's sitting there holding Jesus, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. I mean, all the smells and disappointments and unmet expectations of how she envisioned birthing her baby just totally gone and is left in awe and worship of the goodness and faithfulness of God. In this moment, I just imagine Mary looking at Jesus as a baby thinking, you're going to be my forever king. Y'all, I, I cried at all my kids' births, but this is something different. This had to be something different. Because the God who created the world, he sent his son down to earth to live in the mess of humanity for the purpose of taking on our sin and the sin of the world and being our forever king. And this forever king was just sitting there in Mary's arms. From the beginning of time, New City, God has been trying to show his people, you can trust me. I'm good. I'm faithful. I love you. I want you to follow me. But when Jesus came to earth to live among us, he entered into 400 years of bleak darkness and rebellion. He was born in a messy manger for the purpose of saying, I haven't forgotten you. I'm here. When Jesus was born, that was God's announcement saying, I'm here to be with you. I'm here. You can trust me. Which leads us in the last just few minutes of our time to see number two gospel truths for today. New City, Jesus' birth, it's a big deal, but not because it was dramatic, it, it was. It's a big deal because through his birth, he made it possible to rescue us from our sin. Y'all get this. The birth of Jesus didn't secure grace and peace and hope and redemption. That wasn't found in the birth. No, it was God announcing the process has begun. The birth of Jesus points to the cross of Jesus. The cradle points to the cross and the bloody thorn, thorns and crowns. New City, we've seen this week after week. Jesus was born to die. He was born to bring us good news. And how did he bring us good news? We've seen this through our story today. Is that letter A, Jesus brought good news into the darkness. If sin wasn't present in our world, if the world wasn't dark and bleak and cold, Jesus would, have needed, Jesus would not have needed to come. But guess what? Sin was and still is present. Humanity was and still is broken. The world was and still is dark and bleak. But when Jesus came, he came announcing, I'm coming to be the light in the darkness. I've come to help. I've come to rescue you from your sin. So Jesus came into the darkness. But what we've also seen is that letter B, Jesus came to be trusted in our waiting. You know, everything surrounded Jesus' birth. It was paired with seasons of waiting. 400 years of waiting before he came. Three months of Mary waiting with Elizabeth. Both Mary and Elizabeth were given divine announcements and were left waiting nine months during their pregnancy before they saw their children. Zechariah, his story uh, in Luke 1, when he goes mute months and months of not being able to talk, he too was waiting. It's almost like God burst onto the scene and said, I'm here, I'm coming, it's going to be awesome. And then they wait. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And I don't know about you, but for me, waiting is just really, really hard. I don't like to wait. But do you know what waiting does? It forces us and it causes us to trust the Lord in our waiting. To trust that God will keep his word. To trust that God, he's good. Y'all, seasons of waiting, they're not fun. But yet at the same time, they grow us and they deepen us and they strengthen our faith. And so let me ask, are you in a season of waiting? You know what the reality is? We all, at some area of our life, some place in our life, are waiting. 
whether it's with friendship or finances or your career or in a relationship, whatever it is, God in his kindness, he has us wait. And while we're patiently or not so patiently waiting, he simply just says, trust me. I'm good. I love you. I'm for you. Just trust me. And y'all, this is so hard, but it's for our good. And I can't help but imagine that when Mary was in that strange season of waiting as she was living with Elizabeth for those three months, just being with Elizabeth, that, that was so extremely comforting for her. Her community with Elizabeth, an older, wiser Elizabeth, helped her to trust the Lord in her waiting. I think it's fair to say that they needed each other while they both waited. They both helped each other in their waiting. Their faith spurred one another on. And you know, this is why our community, our church, it's so important. You know, church is not a service. It's people. It's not a ministry. It's not an organization. No, it's people that point each other to Jesus and lean on one another to build our trust in Jesus as we just wait. Amen. This is church. You know, we need each other. God created us to live in community with one another. And so let's, let's just ask uh, again, how can we be faithful with our community around us in our waiting? So God came into our darkness while he came to be trusted while we wait, but then also we've seen letter C, Jesus came in humility. He could have come in showing his majesty bo being born in a palace uh, with a golden cradle, but he didn't. No, Jesus came in humility uh, and, th and through his birth modeled for us the way he created us to live showing us that this life, it's not about us. God created us to reflect glory, not be glory. Jesus himself, glory himself, he left heaven's throne to come and rescue us in humility. But yet it also reminds us that one day in the future, when he comes again, he won't be displaying his humility. Now when Jesus comes back, he'll be displaying his power and his might. But both in his humility and in his power and might at all times, Jesus is to be worshipped. Which leads us to finally say, letter D, Jesus came for our worship. When Mary found out she was pregnant with Jesus, what did she do? She was led to worship. And for us today, we do the same thing. Mary was led to praise God because her Savior was living inside of her for a season and knew, she was, knew he was coming. But how much more can we praise God knowing that he didn't just come as a baby, but he came as a sinless Savior that would die on the cross for the sins of the world so that he could then enter us and live, and live inside of us by his Spirit. New City, again, Mary's song of praise is also our song of praise. I want to encourage you to go back and read and just reflect on that song this, this week. Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. Adopting it is a, as our song because Jesus, uh, because of Jesus in the cross and because of the gospel, it is our song of praise. If we do anything this week to prepare our hearts for the Lord, may we simply just worship the Lord. And why? Because our God has not forgotten us. He came to be born in a manger to live, die, and be raised from the dead, not for him to live among us in our filth forever, so that, we could be, so that we could live with him in his holiness forever. This is Christmas. Jesus came to us so we could go back and be with him. And if you haven't, I pray that today, maybe today is the day that you hand over your life to him. Because that's why he came. Jesus came down to earth so that we could be with him. Let's pray. God, you're, you're so good to us. God, I pray during this 
this Christmas season anticipating the birth of Jesus, waiting on Christ uh, to come, that we would be reminded of the anticipation, knowing, but also knowing, God, you came. God, we wait, we anticipate, we, 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 we hope, but God, we, we have a hope secure, knowing that you came and that you died and that you rose from the dead. God, you came in both humility, but we know that you're going to come back in power. And so, God, we, we wait even now. We wait for you to return. We wait for you to come back. God, would you come soon, Lord Jesus? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.